Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Sazzy. I'm from South London and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, is there a song that you wish had been written about you? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian and writer Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, hello, and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from everything from our question from Sazzy from South London. Her question was: Is there a song you wish had been written about you, Dane? Any any songs that leap to mind? Song I wish had been written about me. Um... Nobody does it better. That's a, that's a good one. That's an option. Oh, and uh, you're so vain. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. Um, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe? No, that seems inappropriate. I think the song that I would like to say probably represents my uh, stream of consciousness is a song called Take It In Blood by Nas. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's my. it's like my favourite song. And I think, yeah, it's, it's the, for me, it's like the uh, epitome of like uh, of poetry. Urbane poetry, so I love that song. So that's the song I wish was about I think about me and my life. And that's pretty good. I think I'd have to go for uh, "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman" uh, by Aretha Franklin, just to confuse everyone. Or maybe "What Becomes of the Broken Hearted." Actually, that feels like it's more, more either natural. or. Either or. Although you know, we were no longer referring to uh, people who feel like a woman as confused. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I, do you know what? I'm going to go for I'm Still Standing. I'm going to go for I'm Still Standing by Elton John. Fuck you, world. I'm still going. <laughs> Before I get in trouble. Anyway, we ask all the questions, don't we, Dane? We ask all, all the questions. We ask We ask all the questions. Uh, no punches are pulled. And if you have questions to ask us and you enjoy the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network where you can find us there also. On today's show, our guest is a British actor, writer, director, producer, and activist. He is one of the creators and stars of the BAFTA award-winning BBC comedy show, The Revolution Will Be Televised. He co-created the ITV2 show, Don't Hate the Players. He also created the comedy show, Revolting, which produced one of the most controversial sketches of all time, The Real Housewives of ISIS. It's the anarchic Julian Rubenstein. Hello, mate. How you doing? Hello. It's I'm good, glad man. We've got into, I'm glad we've got into to The Real Housewives of ISIS at the top of the show. I thought I'd get Definitely it out of the way. The, I thought I'd the get least, it out of the way. The least pro- problematic sketch that we ever released, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Just Listen. really weird when a sketch just does nothing. Just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't talk to any, anyone. Yeah. Doesn't really get a response. I like it. I thought it was great. And I, I feel like, you know, for people that would have been detractors for that particular sketch, it's like, what are you more outraged by? By a parody of something or what is actually taking place? And, you know, sometimes well, it's a tough so one problematic, though, because we live in a world of such binaries where... <laughs> You know the uh, the women who had been groomed online to go to Raqqa were living in a sort of full-on Wahhabist Islamic 
you know, uh, uh, you know, crazy, awesome. yeah, yeah, crazy place. So they were wearing, you know, hijabs in the sketch. But I do. If the one thing I regretted actually was that if I was to do it again, I'd just have them in fighters outfits because we're living in a time where just the visual uh, of of the sketch itself was enough to get people like Katie Hopkins and Alex Jones go like, oh my God, this is fantastic. This is amazing. <laughs> listen, when, you're, when, when you're a satirist, oh, it's not like no. you're not you're not hoping to get a response, but that's not necessarily the crowd I was expecting to jump up and down. It reminds me of when I was pitching a show, which I, I, I tried to get a, a, a kind of hidden camera prank thing, political thing commission. And I remember talking to someone about it and then going, yeah, I really like it. Why didn't you call it Nigel Farage's happy hour? And I went, right, this is over. This is all over. I'm never, mention- I'm never mentioning this again. Nigel Farage's happy hour? Fuck off. I'm not making that. I've been in some fucking crazy development meetings. I, I won't n- tell you which company this is, but I was literally in a development meeting where mm. I went. So what we'll do, right? What we'll do, what we'll do, yeah, is we'll get a Muslim woman, yeah? And we'll put her in a hijab. We'll just put her in a cage. We'll just put her in a cage. We'll put the cage. We'll put the cage in Covent Garden and, so, and we'll just see what happens. Do you know what? White privilege uh, is not just—it's not just a facet of institutional racism. I believe that it is a strain of cocaine that is affordable <laughs> only to the media elite. Yeah. Where someone goes, all right, yeah. H and M, we're gonna take a little black boy with a t-shirt, and it's gonna <laughs> say monkey. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Like you know, it was crazy. It was crazy because you know I'd hear these ideas and I'd sort of say, okay, but what, what's this sketch saying? And they would go, like it. And you were like, sorry, what? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking, what are you trying to say with this sketch? And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's strange times. I mean, the, the backlash mainly that we've got, and, and there is nothing, you know, they say um, there's no such thing as a woman's scorn. Mm. You know, they say that. Or hell, or hell hath no true. fury, of course. Hell hath no fury, but it's not true. What, what, hell hath no fury than a woke liberal white man. Yeah, you, good, yeah. The, the, yeah. you just it, it is they will pile in on top of of, of things absolutely and it's not a, look there's there were great things about that and you know I, I definitely think at times i am that guy but it was it was really interesting watching you know that stuff it's it's a hard thing though because you see the we were living in a different time that i was, was about to say you you and your uh your work particularly with revolution will be televised to me feels now ahead of its time because if, if that show was happening right now um it would be like creating noise in a way that maybe a few years ago people were just more like yeah what what kind of crisps can i buy whereas now it's like you know there's a lot more at, um activated bits of people's brains politically even if they're talking yeah i mean we'd also we probably would be dead yes i was gonna say yeah. probably- <laughs> that's, true. that's true i mean we probably literally because i mean yeah, dude, yeah. We, we've got you know hayden was was put into the the cells underneath the hate <laughs> when, oh my goodness. Uh, you know he put up you know wanted posters for tony blair because what we really did with the show was we basically racially profiled ourselves we, yeah. we racially profiled ourselves and we thought okay well our whiteness gives us uh, an ability to use this privilege to mm. gain access to the uh, events and the, the 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 people who will be less triggered by us, and therefore will open up their um you know from their, 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 their sort of evil selves, if you like. Mm. Right. God, God's done. There's quite a few I could go into, particularly about 
police brutality that I witnessed myself in New York, yeah. about actually going to the KKK and meeting them personally, and the experience of that where you realise, like, these guys are no fucking joke. Like, this whole... You know that fucking Hollywood movie, Green Book? No, right? yeah. yeah. That's, that, for me, is it. It's like the Hollywood narrative is... You get this racist guy, he meets a black guy, he spends time with him. He's like, oh my God, I've seen the error of my ways. Now I know a black guy, I'm not a racist. These guys don't fuck around. These guys are fucking racist. Well, they're not just that. Those, the, the, this is what America doesn't show you as well, is that racist in the KKK and uh, the uh, character portrayed by Vigna Morrison, the guy in the Green Book is an Italian guy. Now, in America, it's, uh, historically, White Anglo-Saxon Protestants would consider Irish, Jewish, and Italians to all be part of an underclass where white is concerned. The term of white, and which they were all collectively known, only came about to be opposed to galvanization to, to oppose the galvanization of former slaves and black people. So just make sure there was that separation. What people need to understand about the KKK and other white supremacist groups, especially in America, is that their entire identity and their self-esteem it, pin, it hangs on a thread to the subjugation of black people, yeah. because they are indoctrinated with the idea. If you are the lowest of the low trailer park, crystal meth smoking, white trash, you are still better than the richest black man. We did obviously a lot of talks after, you know, George Floyd was lynched and we, you know, tried to talk a lot about like the British Empire and, you know, stuff like that. And then since then I got quite involved on the ground with like the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK. And like, what's really fascinating to me is, and by the way, no one will fuck with this Generation Z that are coming up. Like these kids give no fucks, and they yep. are very, very informed and far more informed than I was at their age. And they have yep. different ways of kind of, you know, I mean, it's just like these tiles on Instagram where you can click through and find out the entire historical basis of slavery and, or the financial and, realities. And, of, and that's why that's why they can't be fucked with because now the two yeah. greatest two greatest weapons that supremacy has had, which is A, mainstream media and being able to control mm. that narrative, they've lost that grounding as well. Yeah. And also, you know, the finance and also the finances to do so, they've lost that as well. So now that that transparency has been one of the biggest blows. And then mm. someone like Donald Trump who epitomizes what white supremacy and capitalist patriarchy is in the fact that he has no real meritus uh uh, right to his position, just mm. that he's wealthy and he's a white man. He is now, just by his existence, destroying that every mm. day. Every day he lies. Every time he shows his incompetence, even in the South Corona and the whole COVID thing. Every time he shows his incompetence and his duplicity, every single time that happens, he basically destroys the uh, image of a quintessential wealthy, benevolent, intelligent white man. I so got a good. Uh, I got a good story for you about Trump. So I. I've met Donald Trump personally twice. Yeah. And we, we, we filmed him in his sketch once, but the mm -hmm. first time I missed him. So we had flown that morning. We were filming in New York. We'd flown down to New Orleans because there was a Republican Party conference there. And at the time, because this is 2015, he was still like a rank outsider, right? Mm. So when they do like the, you know, various people talking, that day it was all about Jeb Bush, who was running for senator. So he was going to be the main event. Anyway, so we got there late, it's like driving rain. And I, when we filmed Revolution, I would always have like a, a lapel mic. Mm. So I zoomed in whilst everyone else was still getting ready to sort of scope the place, see what was going on. And it was a weird fucking place. It was like a kind of like convention center, a kind of weird old 80s carpets and stuff. And I'm sort of walking in and I see Trump uh, coming, coming out with like surrounded, uh, they usually have a sort of diamond formation of security around all these people. Mm. And he's strolling out and I see him and I'm like, fuck, it's Trump. Like, maybe we could get him. So I start tailing him back to basically where the entrance is, where our car is with the cameras. Mm. 
And so we go through the first place and he's like waving and there's, you know, various people kind of saying hello. And then we walk basically through some double doors and it's pretty much a totally empty um, conference room before we get to the, the steps. And I'm sort of behind him, behind his full security, and he's still waving to no one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that sounds in, about right. In, in, a, in a room, right? Sounds so he's, right. he's walking through a room and he's like, and at first I thought, I'm, I'm going a bit mad here. So I sort of did that thing, like looking like I'm on my phone. I sort of skirt around the outside of him. And it's like, he was, it was like he was, I mean, it's like when you hear him talk on his speeches. It's like, it's like it's, it's, I don't know. Like, and it's got to the point, Dane, where I genuinely hope he was taking the piss with his security guard. He, he definitely isn't. That- it's, it's a combined thing. Is that if cap- you look at capitalism as a uh, religious ideology, he's like the Pope. So in his head, that is always supposed to be the answer to stuff. Every time he's questioned about his competency or, or you know, his his insight, he's like, my wealth means I should never have to be questioned. Everything he's dealing with now is this existential crisis of the fact that he has never had to be a civil servant and never had to be at the behest of anybody else. Yeah. Because in every other instance when he's been incompetent, he's bankruptcies and stuff. Can we just he would just say to the press. Can we just pull up? Because can we just take a second just to acknowledge that he was waving to a completely empy room? <laughs> It doesn't like, surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. It's like, it's so. That's weird. a sociopath practicing how to appear like a normal a human being that can endear themselves to other people. It's Remember, weird. where he comes when Normally, Donald Trump doesn't say hello to anyone. That's why he has to practice because normally <laughs> his eyes are headed towards the money. And if you approach him, Fuck it's really up to it's his discretion whether he acknowledges you. Mm, That's yeah. how his mind usually is. So he has to practice. So for us, normal interaction and rapport building with most human beings comes to you naturally just for your normal life experiences. Yeah. He's always been able to pay people for stuff like that. I'm so being it, a civil servant is the hardest part because a civil servant essentially means you're at the behest of civilians, whereas he's normally used to being of the elite as the 1% to look down on them. So mm. to be in the service of civilians, he is in a world that he cannot, but again, because of his money, he can't be like, this is too tough. I want to resign because, because of his ego alone. Yeah. Especially, you know, you're, if you've been on your apprentice for how many seasons firing people. Oh, of course. He, he doesn't want to say, I can't handle this. I resign. Because I don't then- even think, I think he's just the straw man who is being manipulated because the Russians have compromise on him. <laughs> who's oh yeah. Footage of him pissing on a bed. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I wonder personally, if, you know, if anyone listens to this, if you can get a chance to check out Trump uh, and uh, the American Dream documentary series, which is, uh, I think, a four-part documentary series you can yeah. see on Netflix. If that depends. How Does he make money from us watching that? No, of his name? no, he okay, would not be vouching for that documentary. Um, okay, cool. But I would say that documentary offers the most unbelievable insight into who Donald Trump is. Uh, it mm. starts from really early days right up to the kind of modern day, people who knew him, people who like him, people who don't like him. And it, it's a real fascinating... Um, I'd really recommend, if you're watching this or listening to this, that you Google Luke Harding who is a Russia specialist of The Guardian. Mm. He's a very brilliant journalist, someone that I've followed for a very long time. And he was and is really one of the foremost sort of uh, journalists when it comes to the questions being asked, why hasn't Boris Johnson published the Russia report? Mm. And what he has stated, this is his journalism, not my opinion, is that uh, when Theresa May and Boris Johnson at the time, Boris Johnson was the Foreign Secretary, Theresa May was the Prime Minister, given the Russia report, basically a memorandum that basically stated that it was highly probable that the Russian, that the American president, if he, uh, if, if it was in fact Donald Trump who won, 
that he would be compromised because there was a lot of Russian compromise on it. And Harding says that they just basically threw a fire blanket on this because at that time, with Brexit in your thing, remember, it was all leave and remain then. You know, what's a, that what's a Brexit? That's, exactly. Brexit did, you say, did you say Brexit on my podcast? That's two, 2015, buddy. Come you'll on. You'll fucking know. You'll know on the 31st of January 2021, bro. Believe. <laughs> That's when you'll know. That's when the pound will, will tank. But it's... Um, <laughs> It's it's really it's really mad shit. I mean, this is why I find it hard to do comedy about all this shit at the minute. And you know, yeah, sat- satire is, satire nowadays is uh, tougher than it's ever been because the, the truth is much stranger than fiction. Yeah. yeah, we we should ask a question because our listeners will be thinking this is the most amazing preamble we've ever had on this show. But um, but we need to ask a question, otherwise the show will never will never get to the the format that people love. So it's- you want me to explain what the question is today, then, please. Yeah, the difference between abolitionist viewpoints which look at system change Mm. and pragmatist legislative viewpoints that look to work within a current system and both in the black lives matter movement in the uk and in the environmental movement Mm -hmm. there are very big similarities between there is no because these are social movements it's no it's not in any way monolithic the viewpoint there are those who believe the best way to move forward with the Black Lives Matter agenda in the UK is to only look at systematic abolitionist frameworks. And that became a very mainstream idea in recent weeks Mm -hmm. because of the calls to defund the police, Mm -hmm. right? Which was not something that would be part of mainstream like if I told you in January, you know what's going to happen? By August, people are going to talk about defund the police. You'd be like, fuck off, mate. What are you on about? That's where we are. And in the environmental movement, that is also something that is absolutely essential because you have organisations obviously like Greenpeace who look rather, um, you know, uh, revolutionary, but in fact are a, 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 an organisation that works with government pragmatically mm. changing legislation. And you have then groups like Extinction Rebellion who have, who've, who've sprung up globally and said, no, you must have complete systemic change. Mm. So I think that's what we're going to talk about today, the difference between pragmatic change and systemic change and what's the best way forward. Dane, mm. what, where do you stand on this? Do you want to just tear it all down? Tear it all down? or I think, I think uh, it's a large, been a large part of my narrative is that we have, reached, we have already arrived at the apex of the uh, f- functionality of the current systems that we have in place. Um, they were already built, uh, they were kind of metaphoric uh, sandcastles in the first place. And we've just gone to the point where people realise that our state of being is no longer tenable. Um, an example of that being the paradox of the fact that we were in the process of dismantling and privatising our NHS. And then we have one global pandemic. Everyone's like, every Thursday, clap on your clap, clap for them. Or how about you just incentivize the people that you're allowed to enjoy offshore um, tax uh, havens to pay money towards the fucking NHS and we won't need to clap for them. You know what's better than someone hearing a round of applause? How about Vodafone paying their tax bill and then they can pay that, they can pay the salaries of nurses for three fucking years. Probably a little better than a clap. So yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm of the school that it all has to be kind of been torn down, um, which doesn't necessarily um, pertain to aggressive anarcho destruction <laughs> and the like. However, uh, you know, as Julian uh, stated, there's not going to be any change unless we begin at a systematic and uh, infrastructural level. So, with the example and uh, with the example of Black Lives Matter, it's a very interesting point to discuss in ecological concerns because there are no interest parties that exist 
either within or outside of the bipartisan political spectrum that do take care of you know the needs of the descendants of slaves as well as uh, members of the diaspora so that may would need to exist and you know if that is going to exist how about a leader that black people fucking know because no black people know who trevor phillips is so how he became the minister for racial equality nobody knows because there was no campaigning there was no him you know I've never seen Trevor Phillips in, like, you know, the bar of Brent, which is one of the largest Afro-Caribbean populations in London. Uh, you know, he's never speaking to any kind of Nigerian dignitaries, even though Nigerians make up the largest mm. uh, population of the diaspora in, this, in London, especially. So, you know, that would be a start. Um, you know, demonstratively protecting, you know, black politicians like, you know, your Una Kings and your Diane Abbott's or constantly uh, the target of vitriol. And it's like, is she going to have to... Hey, what are you with- talking about? She should never have had that mojito, mate. All right. Yeah, well, what are you on about? If yeah. a woman's going to drink a mojito on a train, yeah. surely she's she's fair game for complete and utter Ridic- full-on racial Ridicule, abuse. ridicule. Ridicule, ridicule, because Lord knows that, uh, I guess, if you're going to sniff coke like the Prime Minister, you should probably do it in private, innit? So, all right, fair, <laughs> do, fair do's on that one, guys. But um, no, it's, it's difficult, though. The whole thing's really difficult, right? Because there's small incentives, I, I, I think, we can you can do to change it. So, yeah, so the, the environmental one, it's like, like I said, it's like, on the one hand, we don't have a black interest group. And then you see, like, someone like Donald Trump closes the Environmental Protection Agency in the States. And it's like, for me, it's like, there is even the financial benefit of investing in ecological responsibility. Because for me, it's still so strange that you have hospitals, libraries, fire stations, police stations, or, you know, parks, uh, nature reserves, all of these places with buildings that don't have fucking solar panels and they're municipal buildings. And it's like, if you had a, if you had a policy where you're like, every single municipal building should be able to provide solar panels to provide an alternate energy source so that these buildings are not beholden to private utility companies and who installs them. How about this entire glut of unemployed people in the north of the country, this entire contingent of white working class people who you could be educating about new and emerging uh, technology like biofuel or solar energy, and they could be installing this stuff. Mm. And, they could, and so they've got jobs, and now we are investing in an infrastructure which is going to be financially sound and ecologically conscious. Well, listen, Dee, I've got something to, to, to say on this because this is a really key point, and I think this is what I think you know, I'm starting to see these parallels and I, and I think it's really important that people, people have it considered this. So one of the things that has come up as a result of um, the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK is the odious reality that when the famous Earl Grey was Prime Minister, that he suggested that in exchange for getting rid of, of their slaves, that slave owners would be paid a, a bursary by the government through the taxpayers' purse. Yeah, Subsidising that, that went up, the subsidy, exactly, that went up until, that we were paying off until 2015. Now, that is something that we've discussed, right? Yes. What has not been discussed and what, in fact, stands exactly in the way of what you just said, which is why don't government buildings and, you know, government-funded um, uh, uh, functions of society, why aren't they powered in this way? is that the UK currently has the biggest fossil fuel subsidy in the whole of Europe. So right now, every year, we give £124 billion of taxpayer money per year to the fossil fuel industry. We are so incredibly embedded in the infrastructure, just like the British state was embedded in the infrastructure of slavery, Uh that that there is not currently the... um, there aren't the Instagram tiles of that yet. 
Do you no, know what I mean? Like people, yeah, aren't. people aren't putting this stuff out yet. And, and there's a lot of similarities here. And the, and the problems ultimately are the same, which is legislative change can make really meaningful difference to people's lives. Like I helped a group of people and I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed by what they do. I certainly, I've been, I'm never call myself an activist because I know what real activists yeah, yeah. do and the lobbying they do. So for instance, the, the friends of mine who work for Help Refugees, who lobbied on the Duds Amendment, which was to help unprotected uh, minors in refugee camps connect with family members that they had in the UK. So I want to be super clear. We're not talking about just taking random kids. We're talking about people who actually have family in the UK. And the government resisted this massively. And the lobbying made a difference of to course. over 60 kids' lives who probably would not be alive now if they hadn't done it. So that's on one level, why pragmatism and that yeah. kind of legislative change is really important. The problem is that the overall reality doesn't change at all. Mm. And that's and that's where we're at. And, and then the, the problem at the minute, and I've even seen this within the Black Lives Matter movement, where just like with the Women's March, if you look at that, you know, it was, two, it was one group, it broke off into two because of, you know, I think there was one group that was predominantly Jewish women, there was another group that was predominantly black women that mm. they, they, they broke off. I'm not, I'm not getting into why they did it or whatever, but even now you can see small pods of people being offended that one group may be pragmatists and another one may be abolitionists. And rather than working together, mm. there's a sense that it's like, shit, man, you're a part of the problem. Or, shit, man, you're fucking naive. You're not, what, you think there's going to be a revolution in this country? How are you going to enact any of this shit? You're just yeah. pissing in the wind. So it's a real kind of big kind of conversation, you know, around these things. Well, I mean, to me, one of the things that is uh, on a kind of human level, potentially part of the reason is, is even on the most basic level, people fear change. I think in your own life, if I, if you have a routine, I don't know if people who listen to the show or you guys have, have found, you know, lockdown gave you a new routine and you quite liked it and you got quite used to it. You know, yeah. I think people like to have their systems in place. And so major change to those systems, like how we use energy, how we work. You know, I think the idea that it went down to four days a week appealed to people in some ways, but I think in other ways it terrified the fuck out of them because what would they do? <laughs> what would they do, yeah, lack, you know? Lack of purpose. Um, but this is what it all comes down to is that all of the things that we're discussing on these macro kind of uh, global uh, macro social scales, they already come down to just assessing the human complex whereby, for example, as you said, you've got a, a contingent of people who want to be progressive but at the same time have a fear that they may not have their needs prioritised over the needs of another uh, extant group. And so then, you know, the real purpose becomes distorted. Or like Howard said, you know, we are creatures of habit as human beings, whereby we lose to a certain pattern of behavior, particularly if that pattern of behavior benefits you or you enjoy the privilege of that. And even there's also the comparative privilege whereby you're, I've had conversations with uh, black people of a more conservative disposition when, you know, for 10 years I've bemoaned like uh, foreign policy and bemoaned the action of the police. And they'll be like, yeah, but the police here aren't as bad as the police in Nigeria, yeah. partially because they've been weaned on a diet of Fox News, which is just, you know, fast food um, information. But also because of the fact that when you are, people are having a comparison of prestige, especially when you are dealing with a uh, diaspora who are from developing countries that come here, they've never had it better. So to convince, exactly. them that things, yeah. to convince them that things need changing can be a very difficult thing so i completely agree and like i said i'm definitely of the position that it's an infrastructural change but that infrastructure doesn't just begin with the uh, mechanics that govern how our societies run whether they are ne economic or legislative the issue is 
Uh, it's. I think it's a humanitarian one. Which, it's a whole that? philosophical basis of our civilization. Absolutely. Why, Absolutely. Do you, why do you live? <laughs> because you. Yeah, it's purpose. But then this is. What I mean, this is the idea. This is the idea. Is that this is now becoming an existential question we're arriving at, and everyone is doing that very slowly and reluctantly. Because whether or not your leanings are towards Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, you're going to arrive at a point where automation is going to become taking a much more of a prominent role. In this, mm. our workings economically and industrially. Well, so you can have see you... it now. I mean, exactly. what you're saying. I'm so glad that you 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 go you went on to that because that's literally what I think is is the fundamental lie of neoliberalism. The fundamental lie, really, of capitalism absolutely is that you are an individual actor mm-hmm. and that you have um, agency over the mm-hmm. conditions. And people say, well, look, you know, a, a, a market fundamentalist, even even you know, a, a rational economist who believes in Hayek and believes in you yep. know, believes in, um, you know, the Adam Smith Institute's kind of, you know, take on, on economics would say, well, no, but look, uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs yeah. are able to do that stuff. But what we've seen with coronavirus is, and what we will see with climate collapse, yeah, absolutely, is that it gives no fucks who you no are. Fucks. But this, 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 no fucks. where you are. And that's the problem with capitalism is that you have a quasi-religious ideology masquerading as an economic uh, um, ideology. Yeah. Number one, even the Adam Smith model dictates that, that a divine hand is supposed to reset your economic systems. Literally. Now, if you have, if you've got people that are in the 1%, they're not going to listen. To, they're not going to allow that to happen. They're not yeah, going to allow that to happen. Just to say, if you're listening to this, Dane is not gassing. Like, that is literally this is, word for word what it says exactly divine, not guessing. And, and I'm people not, are like people are like but what do you mean the divine that doesn't matter the yeah, people, people don't know that you are dealing with a system which is based on infinite resources right. so even even hear, then do you want to hear some actually genuinely radical ideas yeah let's, go, let's do it always really always okay always i'll give you a very simple example of how you could have mass systemic change within the current capitalist system, all right? Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. Right now, a tree's only value monetarily is when it's chopped down. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And when it's utilized as a product, Mm. be that a pencil, be that a boat, but it is no economic value as a carbon taking oxygen producing uh you know a photosynthesizing tool necessary to regulate climate right mm-hmm. yeah so right now people are talking about things like you know there are fucking brands all the time like you sign up we'll plant a fucking tree mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna plant a billion trees I like cool this. 
But right now, I know we are going. The Amazon like rainforest it. is being it's literally on fire. Totally it's literally on fire. Yeah. And, and and Bob and Sarah is trying to make people not pay attention to the shit. Hundred percent. While actual Amazon increases in stock value, the yeah. app, the the fucking Amazon forest yeah. is in decline. So and, so, and the irony of that is, when yeah. there's no more fucking trees, the cardboard boxes for your Amazon packages, <laughs> they can't be made anymore. So what yeah. are we going to do about it? What are we so, gonna- so the thing is, let's just take, let's just keep iterating this idea. So mm. if you think about an ocean right now, we talk about oceans having huge problems, huge amounts. Of problems. I like where this is going. I like the thing is, it's about carbon. They're actually huge carbon sinks. They're where the majority yep. of the CO2 that's pulled out of the atmosphere is, is stored. Now, this sort of radical reinterpretation of value Mm-hmm. is something that would be inherent in dealing with how to redistribute wealth and value, not just monetarily to societies that badly need them. In the, you know, people, If you don't know about this, you, you know, in the papers they talk about the East and the West. There's nothing to do with the East and the West. It's the global North and the global South. And there are yep. basically indebted countries and essentially a group of countries, quite com- confusing because Australia is part of it, but it's but essentially westernised very profligate capitalist structures. So so the point I'm trying to say is that it's not like these ideas aren't out there, right? But the thing is that the big question is how do you educate the populace to such an extent that these things start being spoken about in the mainstream? Now, if this was like a couple of years ago, I would have said this is madness. But defund the police was trending on Twitter three days ago. And like it or don't like it, it's becoming part of the conversation. I'm just going to say that I like it. Yeah. So I very much like it. I very much like it. I, I don't think anything you're saying is radical alone. I, I mean, the real radical thing is really going to be, it's the ideological inertia that you are seeing globally. Because what you got to understand is that, like, even just if we just uh, chronicle from the turn of the century up until uh, as recently as 2006, Islamophobia, reality TV, these are phenomena that didn't really exist in our society until mm. the turn of the century. What you noticed was as uh, George Bush began to assume power in the Republican Party, then News Corp started narr- having our focus go on to people like your Paris Hiltons and the things that Jolie, Angelina Jolie did outside of acting. And then we began to have this kind of focus where a new quasar religion of reality bega- it began to exist. And then that began by, uh, we took the idea of celebrity and fame being a byproduct of having a talent and having a voice that people are uh, um, identify with. We distilled it from that celebrity. So now you have an entire subgenre of entertainment, wherefore historically, where you had, you know, you had your Bob Dylans and your Marvin Gaye's Gaye, and people that were both, you know, performers as well as activists, or at least provided commentary, mm. is that they have been now been usurped by, you know, a glove people who say nothing and essentially are closed horses and do serve with corporate interests. Because every time a reality star gets like, you know, a clothing line or a clothing label, you know, they are utilizing the kind of labor of sweatshops and stuff like that. And we don't think anything about it because what people see and hear is that, well, if they can make it, look, Charlotte Cosby's got her own clothing line. If she can make it, I can make it. And this is all part, this is just about the revamp of the religion of capitalism. Well, should we so, drag them as well a little bit here? Because I mean, let's I be mean, honest. How many well-known comedians, musicians, filmmakers, actors, UK household names literally just posted a black square. That's it. That's all they do. Loads and loads, and they're, they're they're pawns in the game, and they're really and they're really not looking at the larger uh, picture. I guess is, and that's the thing with a lot of people. What you're descri- for me, what you're describing is, uh, you know, I think 
it, it, it may be the only way we can survive as a global society. Unless we can create some kind of ecological index where we measure the worth and the efficacy of a, of a country and its government by its ecological practices, we're absolutely fucked. So unless, so you notice that countries like Eritrea and Ethiopia are now doing coppicing programs where they are replanting trees and this is happening all over the continent. If we're not starting to, like I said, have these ideas where we are putting solar panels on municipal buildings or starting a process of replanting, you know, even, you know, hybrid vehicles for all like public transportation as well, mm. you know, even subsidizing companies that are ecologically conscious or do engage in recycling. But like, I even had the idea that like, how can we can subscribe to Amazon? Uh, you can subscribe to Amazon, you can subscribe to Netflix. Why not subscribe to a cosmetic company? And instead of them having to have this output of receptacles all the time for new bits of perfume, mm. you have your receptacle, you have your recept, you have your subscription. You go to like a depot, they have a yeah. vat of whatever the fuck you want to put on your skin or whatever you want to use. And you they give you your, you just grab it. You know, mm. just like just like in the old, you know, like we used to go from water to a well. It's the same thing. It's like you want more yeah. um, Chanel number no. five. Here it is. It's also really important to understand our very very recent history. So as 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 early as two thousand and nine, David Cameron was on a sled in the Arctic, <laughs> literally saying we would be the greenest government. Up until two thousand and fifteen. George Osborne had created subsidies so that small British businesses could try to be part of the Green Revolution. So, for instance, a lot of this is actually small fry stuff, like insulating houses. That's a big one, right? Without without cladding. Exactly. And oh, let's not even go there. But, oh, the, 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 but the, the point I'm trying to make is they cut all those subsidies. So we're not actually needing to sort of do something revolutionary in this country. We need to go back to policy platforms that existed pre the Brexit debate because the yeah. Brexit debate ate everything. And, and before that things, as well. Before there that. are things, I want to say this as well, because yeah. a lot of people have said to me, we say, oh, you hate this country. I love being British. I love part of it. Our intellectual heritage in, in terms of like what we've got is an incredible wealth of yeah. really forward thinking people who have who you know that's it's one of the, the, the really good things about having a good education system um, and we the, have an amazing one yeah and these these ideas are out there they just there has never been a time where academia and reality that politicians enact have been further away ever mm. i mean i would say i haven't seen it since 1945 or since like pol pot where you know we've now allowed fake news and alternate facts to be welcomed into our global lexicon without any challenge to it. And now, you know, now when people receive, you know, challenging uh, or challenging or adverse views, they can just put it down to fake news. So we kind of have seen it before. But like I said, I believe we are now at the apex of, you know, a post-war capitalist, consumerist-led, uh, you know, prosperity. End of an era. And Definitely end, end of an era. It's the end of an era. And people need to accept that. Like you said, people don't like, we're not, cre we're creatures of routine and habit, Howard, but unfortunately human beings are also genetically predisposed to have to adapt if they need to. And oh. austerity, yeah, it's not working for no one. And until we all turn around and be like, you stole our fucking money and what our fucking money back. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Nothing is going to change because everything, because everything that you're seeing, everything you are seeing following 2008, because remember, that's when Obama got into, was in power. Following 2008 is all this distraction from the fact that they have created this identity politics ideology and stratification of people. So even more progressive groups are all arguing about what separates them rather than unites them. Yeah. And that is continued, this continued division because they have stolen so much fucking money and they have sent yeah. this part of the West and this free market into free fall since 2008. And now the nerds report fucking bonuses after we've been bailed out. Now, I studied business at university. Yeah. When you bail out a company and you're investing in it, you either get to asset strip it if it's got fuck all left or you become a majority or preferred um, dividend shareholder. 
I didn't get my bonus check. So why the fuck is RBS getting it? For real, man. As For soon real. as, I until we address that, okay. nothing else matters. This is so okay because, you know, I mean, Adam Curtis talks about in his, in his films as, you know, a hyper-normal reality mm. that we're living yes, in. Yes, great film. The basic great way film. That, 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 you know, you can imagine that is that what people are seeing on the news and then what they actually see with their real eyes are two very different things. Absolutely. And that has been sort of extremely depressing about, you know, whether it was care homes, PPE, you know, the whole the whole crisis. And a lot of people are really scared, man. Like a lot of people, I think, don't really have a lot or aren't really. And that's why things like your podcast is great because you're really trying to give people tools to say when they're having conversations with people, particularly boomers that this isn't really you know this can't this can't go on i'm gonna make a claim dane see if you stains with me on this listeners that oh, we're gonna forego the format of this show and make this show this episode of this show all about this question and we'll just carry on with this dane you up for that <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely. we haven't we haven't, we haven't gone deep enough question. we haven't gone deep enough we haven't gone deep enough we want to go further but absolutely because it's a small question but this is really the quantum of modern existence right because we have been told that money makes the world go round when we, when actually the natural law dictates that it's a function of gravity and our orbit around the fucking sun and somewhere along the line we have forgotten this because now we are at the height of a technological advance and we still have people alive today saying the earth is flat so this is where we are where we're now having to have these existential conversations with each other where it's like how is it that you can see space with your phone and people are still saying the earth is flat yeah. how is it you have you've had generations of the descendants who are mixed with the pick celtic and norman people essentially are a mongol race as well as uh you know saxonic tribes who formed the white people in this country who at the top of their lungs when they are asserting their superiority are like if you want to live here you should speak the language. But they Maybe still- that's why they all say all lives matter today. Maybe well, that's they say, why they say but it. Even that's a very interesting <laughs> conversation because... That's probably all, why they say it because they're that's like, they all Celtic, Norwegian, <laughs> French, German lives that are all part of our lives, which are where our royal family comes from. They all matter. Yeah, they all matter apart from... But the same people that say that are the same people like, we want our sovereignty back. So mm. you leave your continental European cousins because you don't identify with them either. And then... You watch your NHS being privatised. And then, as you said, we look at the, 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 the state and the level of care that's been received by the same generation. These people always regurgitate as they fought in a war so we could. But that same generation are now in these homes receiving no care. And I, I'm supposed to be still indulging or entertaining this narrative about all lives matter. Would you mind, rather than getting like us getting stuck in too much to the things that we know are fucked up that we talked about, I'd quite like to get into some fundamental stuff. Like particularly, I want yeah. to talk about money. Mm-hmm. Right? So, what is money? Right, yeah. money. Great question. Is essentially, debt. If you have an opportunity, I'd really recommend that you follow an account. Have a look at their website. They're called Positive Money. They're a non-for-profit uh, think tank that, that distributes a lot of information on this subject. But if you also don't know about this, the way that money is created is through uh, the, the doctrine now of modern money mechanics. And there is an idea of a, a, a called fractional reserve banking. And this basically means if I am, I'm the bank, right? And I'm lending to Dane, right? So let's just make this nice, simple metaphor. So how do I get that money in the first place? Well, I take it from a national bank. So the Bank of England is that for us. And that, just so you're clear, listener, is not part of the state of England. Of England yeah. It is a yeah. private corporate body that controls, that it's part of the Corporation of London, right? <laughs> that is 
a private entity that runs a private cabal in the centre of London. Just like, so, and, so you guys can understand, it's like McDonald's has muck at the beginning, but it's not Scottish. That's for real, exactly. <laughs> so this this thing, uh, we I'm I'm the government at the time, and I say, guys, I need some money, and they say that's fine. <clears throat> what we what you do is you issue a bond, and that bond goes over to them for a hundred million, a hundred trillion, let's just say, and um, they then give me a hundred trillion in pounds, which I can then put into the money system. Now that's literally an IOU. That's that's how simple this is, right? So then I decide to start lending. But the thing is, the modern money mechanics says that I only need to have 20% of what I've loaned out. So when I loan Dane, say, uh, 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 you know, eight tenths of the money that I have, I can then de facto double that. So I've literally, out of thin air, just almost doubled the amount of money I'm able to lend even though if those people asked to come back and take their money back, I wouldn't have it. That is the way that the banking system operates. And people need to start understanding the fundamental mechanics of the basic units that we, all our lives, go along doing. Because let's face it, no one's counting the pennies anymore. Exactly, they're not, they're not at all. Barclays mobile app. Which facilitates fractional reserve banking even more because now you're just dealing with binary. We had uh, George Mombio on the podcast uh, a while Love back. George. Amazing guy. And he, he talked about, uh, you know, the, the can we end economic growth, uh, which is, is, is quite an interesting statement to people of any background i think you can you can get your head around what george was talking about there um but the, i think the key thing to me when i hear you guys talk about all these various things is is how do we get the person that is still you know sucked in by the kind of normality of 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 what we've been brought up on how do you get mm. them to go there is something else here you can't you can't you can't you can't and, and that's not that's the problem. That's the hardest part. All social change, if you actually look at the history of social change, has always taken place through the actions of small groups of people that create a essentially avalanche of, um, of often driven by events that change history. So if you actually look at the amount of people that were bussing down in Selma, for instance, yeah. It was an extremely really small, really small, absolutely. But the pictures, absolutely. the images, the idea was so powerful mm. that it, it changed public opinion. And that is what we're really talking about. And we're talking basically about something called the Overton window, which is the idea that if, for instance, it's, it's, the, it's the, the Overton window is the space that public debate operates within. Mm. So, for instance, when in, you know, um, uh, Donald Trump's election campaign in 2016, he said Muslim ban. Hmm. That became normalised and it pulled it to the right. But when people at Black Lives Matter protests started screaming, defund the police, that starts pulling it the other way so that people can actually start talking about that in modern parlance. Hmm. Now, there's two things to address in what Howard was saying. One, obviously you don't try and leave these people behind. I think that's no. super important to acknowledge. But you also have to accept that we live in a very apathetic, extremely lean back um, culture. Especially here, but that's been that's nurtured. But we have to remember that has been nurtured. This is yeah. what I was saying about this is what I was saying about the turn of the century is that you have to look at the phenomenon the phenomenon of like, you know, 
uh, our celebration of materialism and consumption in uh, popular culture, because the turn of the century saw like, the introduction of like Sex in the City and Monona Blonics. That mm. uh, was introduced uh, with, uh, you know, the availability of um, credit and payday loans. Yeah. Because you'll notice mm. that what happened was, is that as Rudolph Giuliani destroyed the mafia, then he gave, they gave banks the power to be able to do, engage in more conspicuous fractional reserve banking and also give these insane loans and engage in usury that has never been seen before. Because now that you can basically have the equivalent of a Shylock by giving someone a egg credit card or giving them a payday loan with 2,000% interest, that's bigger than you, even the mafia would charge you for the VIG on the loan. <laughs> did you ever see the... Uh, I did this sketch in the Revolutionary Televised where I pretended to be this guy, Nomar, and I went into all the payday lenders and I said... Is it more money if it's just cash because it's heavier? And they were like, yeah. no, no. It's yeah. Well, so, can I pay you back in weed? And what I was trying to show was that every single one, I said the most fucked up, crazy, ridiculous things, said I'd been in a mental hospital, yeah. said I would use it to pay back a drug dealer. And mm -hmm. every single one of them still offered me a loan. Because I don't care because you're, you are supposed to be a debt slave. You're not supposed to be repaying a loan. You are a debt That's slave. Right. If you were, because I mean, I mean, by having a joke about it, which was met to non-plus quizzical faces, where I was saying that like, <laughs> these potentially these people are Shylocks for crackheads because only a crackhead would be like, oh, uh, so if I trade in a mobile, I'll get a little bit of money. But then if I, if you lend me yeah. 50 pounds now, I've got to pay 2,400% interest exactly. next year. Well, yeah. I need the, I need the crack now. So 50 pounds, please. Because, yeah. you know, that, that's, that is the, uh, the level of despair, uh, economic despair but that also, we're right at. Bring this back round to something that's super important, which mm -hmm. is a lot of your listeners will have heard the term defund the police. It's mm. been shouted out again and again. Now, some people want to, just taking back to the abolitionist question, some people want to just get rid of all the police, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, if they're white people, are quite confronted by this. I myself have only in the last month learned of the New Cross Massacre, right? Which was mm. something where in the 1980s, a group of young black teenagers were having a party. Yeah. The police set the place alight. 14 people burnt to death in the yeah. flat. And 60,000 black Britons for the first time came in the street and demonstrated. Now, I am a political geek who's made political satire shows, who's worked with investigative journalists, who's worked with Private Eye. I have never, ever heard of this. So don't be confronted by the fact you haven't heard it, but understand that you haven't, got any idea well can i just as well because i'm talking about the story because this, this is super important yeah yeah then you've got to ask yourself so you, first you've got to take that into consideration. then you've got to ask yourself what are the police there for and ultimately it's my belief that the police are there to defend capital they're there to defend money their name is what tells you their name are not the good guys their name is not the justice league their name are the fucking police the etymology of the term means policy that means they're not enforcing what's right they're not enforcing what's just they are enforcing policy and what determines policy is legislation and what can buy legislation lobbyists with money that is all they protect so the only reason now for example if you're a member of the lgbt community and you come from a certain social economic background the only reason the police can't fuck you up just for existing now is because there's enough money within that base in order to influence legislation this yeah. is the only difference the police and i want to the new cross thing is that it's interesting you didn't know about it because my dad the first time he bought a car the reason he could afford that car is because when he was in brixton the house party he was in on new year's eve was firebombed and he almost lost an eye and so you got that in compensation and i wasn't allowed to go to brixton until i was 18. you are so, joking i'm absolutely a hundred so he was actually there 
Not in New Cross. He was in Brixton when they fire bombed oh, yeah. another house as well. Because this is what. So my dad was grew up in Broccoli, and he was a Broccoli boy, which is referred to as a gang. But most of the uh, black gangs that exist in London are because they were combating attacks from NF what? and other racists. So when we talk about the police, again, going back to that about defunding the police, exactly. What do they do? Because the police do not preemptively stop crime from taking place. Any victim of domestic abuse can tell you that. They are responsive in terms of how they deal with crime. And really, crime a lot of the time is we know is a byproduct of financial iniquity. It's usually the one catalyst that begins people engaging in crime. Now, for me, my biggest, I guess, revelation about understanding how the police works would have been with Stephen Lawrence's murder and the McPherson inquiry because I live 15 minutes away from there. And so black people in the community started, we were getting alternate anecdotes about stuff like where Dwayne Brooks was being cajoled by the police to to paint them as aggressive and then thereby diminished from his testimony he was falsely implicated in a rape scandal they accused him of carrying offensive weapons because he used to work and change printers and now he's working in uh, office and was a liberal uh, liberal democrat i think uh yeah he was he was a liberal democrat candidate yeah yeah the candidate because of this kind of injustice now we all know the mcpherson report is probably one of the first times that uh britain as a uh, nation became aware of a term like uh, institutional racism here's what we don't know because remember like i said i was 11 and i was 15 minutes away <laughs> name one police officer that got fired yeah, exactly. Hmm. Name uh, one. Not one. I, I remember Sir Paul Condon, even when that was happening, was like saying most of the people that per- perpetrate muggings and robberies are black people. And what you also find is interesting is after the revelations of the Rubik Fist inquiry, rather than the police, like I said, you didn't hear about any arrests. Now, Stephen Lawrence's death is one of the reasons why we had to introduce double jeopardy into uh, law as well, because... The four killers, the members of a gang, the Elton Craze, who stabbed them to death because they're a gang and they carry knives and everyone knows who they are, even though we don't talk about knife crime in white communities. Mm. The people that stabbed him, now, we know some of, two of those guys went to, and went to prison. And incidentally, it's, it's the two of them who were the poorest, who don't have dads, who are members of firms who could pay off and bribe members of the police, which is exactly what happened. But we never find out what their names are. So instead of that being addressed, and you don't hear about anybody being fired, what you had instead is that the McPherson inquiry and the reintroduction of double jeopardy happened a generation later, where if you were an active police officer at the time, covering this up, in 20 years, you'd have probably retired. Yeah, You are immune from any kind of prosecution or persecution or scrutiny about your job. It's worse. A lot of these guys were retiring with basically kind of pensions of like 30 grand, 40 grand. It's like that wasn't enough for them because what they did after that is they got revenge. And when we get Operation Trident. Yeah. So now they've created an entire scheme where they've created this idea that the movement of guns is most prominent within the black community, even though there are no Caribbean or African countries with their own domestic firearms or artillery traits. So they can't be coming from us. However, when you see the troubles in Ulster and you see all these decommissioned parliament military groups in Northern Ireland, where did their guns go? Mm. And guns are banned in the UK because Thomas Hamilton was a convicted paedophile who went to a school in Dunblane and killed all the children. And yet yeah. to this day, no one ever racially profiles Dude, white men in anorexic I don't know what you're talking about. He was a lone wolf. He was... Yeah, yeah. yeah right. And then the same thing he said about Anders Brevik. And then he, he said... Well, he, he had about, um, about the whole... This whole defund the policing because I think it's super important with it through the podcast to say the, pragmat- the, the pragmatist point of view, the legislative point of view and the abolitionist point of view. So the thing is that is pragmatic that is problematic with defunding the police is what you replace it with. And there are very real functions, counterterrorism functions, issues of I mean, you raise the issues of them being reactive. That's absolutely right. But who wouldn't want an officer to be able to go around if a woman was being attacked by their partner? There are very legitimate uh, concerns that people have when they hear these 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 huge cries but what also again people don't have the the, the knowledge of is the research that's been done into you know a, a independent counter-terrorism units units that can be activated within a kind of um 
you know, a, a cellular kind of structure of uh, an, an institution that essentially are, you know, public protectors that, that, that would be necessary. No one is talking about getting rid of the, uh, the police in order to replace it with nothing. And secondly, yeah. it's not the case that anyone who's saying defund the police is going, everyone in the police is a racist. You can still work within an institution that has fundamentally conditioned you. I mean, you, the, the amount of accounts of black and ethnic officers saying they were called bounties, you know, black on the outside, white on the inside. I was one of them. Fuck but, you guys. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> no, fuck them. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. But to be honest, I think we're at a particular stage. I don't give a fuck about any kind of moderate things from any pragmatists. Fuck you and defund the fucking police and go fuck yourself. You know why? Because I work in comedy. And in comedy, people are happy to satirize the government and they're happy to satirize religious institutions like the Catholic Church. Yeah. Forgetting that both of these institutions, as I said before, in the podcast, we determine our very rudimentary idea of morality from Judeo-Christian fundamentals. Thou shalt not yeah. kill, thou shalt not steal, etc. Right? Now, we take that as a basis for our legislation. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that all comes under uh, the term common law, where it's like, commonly, you shouldn't go around killing people and stealing people. So this becomes the policy. The people who enforce that are the police. Therefore, if we are all happy to say these two institutions are corrupt and rotten beyond repair, why the fuck can you not say the same thing about their kids? So if exactly. you are some, for me, if you're still a police apologist, go fuck yourself. You're yeah. wrong. They're evil. Fuck them. Because the if the church is corrupt though. and the state's corrupt, then they're fucking corrupt. The and they're worse than us. They're worse than us. Now, fuck that. They're worse than us. You know why? Because in comedy, I am told, not there's a problem, but I am told from a moral perspective, if I see somebody being traumatized and discriminated against because of their gender or sexual orientation, just as a civilian, you should speak up. Even yeah. of patriarchal power, use that leverage and speak up. Therefore, if you're in a fucking police and you know what that stands for and you see one instance of someone acting outside the boundaries of law, more before I say a fucking word and I even hit the streets with a placard, you should be turning them in. And if you don't, you're worse than all of us. That's the whole thing, isn't so it? Fuck you. This whole thing, so this whole thing, sorry guys, Dane like popped his annex halfway yeah. through. And then, <laughs> no, I didn't. When it comes to the police, fuck them. When it comes to the police, fuck them. Fuck them and fuck you if you believe in the police. You know what? If you're the policeman, more than anybody else, you should be the first one of us to yeah. talk about crime and corruption within your institution. You should what? be more disgusted than any of us. That means if you don't, you're the worst. Here's you the biggest problem. Here's the biggest problem that, that we face right now as a society is in, in the UK is that I actually agree with 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 the the the, the fearsomeness and the venom with which you're you're talking, and I and I feel actually the uh, you know when we talk about the revolution we televised before, the one thing we didn't do enough of was focus on directly on the police. We did a couple of sketches, but more about police bribery than anything else. And the truth is that the staggering statistics about say four percent of the UK population being black and fifty percent of the prison population being black also points to another really important issue, which is that how can 96% of the UK population ignore the subjugation of 4% of the population? And how can, just like Howard's saying before, how what is it going to take? What are you going to need to see in order for you to understand that you have to stand up against an institution that just hasn't come for you yet. I think what I think it could be is the absolute collapse that we're going to see in America in the coming yes. years. And I, I love fun. America. I studied in America. I've got a lot of friends in America and obviously their culture massively dictates ours, music, mm -hmm. film, everything else. 
But there is about to be a massive collapse out there in the coming years. And, and, and I hope it's not as bad as it could be. I don't think there's any way of stopping it. I don't think Biden or anyone could stop it. But I think what is going to happen out there is going to be so massive. I don't know if you guys have heard about the water shortage crisis in America, which when you say... Flint, water- Flint Michigan has been without clean water in the developed nation for like over half a decade. But, yeah. but the, so. and, the, and the idea, Dane, that there are people who run out of money and the water company turns off their water in a pandemic is, I mean, anything we, we used to aspire to be America. Everyone aspires to be America, right? The place yep. of opportunity. Fuck me. They are done for in the, well, the dude, current We're pretty done for here as well, my friend. Exactly. You know, like right now, conservative estimations are that literally by December, we will have lost about 35 to 40% of of jobs in in the market and it's extremely it's extremely sad because i mean you know i mean we're talking about this money thing i saw something earlier today that came up this theater in southampton the nuffield theater it's been open for 40 years does community outreach with difficult groups it works with vulnerable children it works with uh you know it's been a huge community community hub and it's being shut and uh, what you've seen is there is absolutely no doubt that putting another trillion even putting two trillion on the current national debt would not be a big deal because we've just bailed out, you know, 80% of, of, of the workforce through the PAYE scheme and the self-employment scheme. There are, there, there are things that are going to go on here. And I think what's going to happen is exactly like Dane said at the beginning is the way that companies will deal with it is to fully upscale and accelerate their plans for automation within the workplace which creates less jobs anyway. And then we have fundamental questions to ask ourselves about who are we or what are we? Exactly. What is the point of what we're doing on this planet? Exactly. And that, and that, and capitalism has allowed human beings to ignore the existential question for generation after generation. And now we are arriving at a point whereby your money is not going to bail you out of it. Because once automation exists and you have an artificial intelligence that does not require water, sleep, or any, any kind of religious allegiance whatsoever, you're done. That's number one. Not only that, the basis for your superiority, biologically, socially, is now being shown is bullshit. So now what's happened now is that you have an entire lot of people based in the West who have enjoyed an emperor's new close status, where they have all of the same moral, social, and theological shortcomings as any other nation on the planet, but money has allowed them to appear to be superior. Now that that's running out, and now we can see you're no better than anybody else, which is why we're saying correctly, Jody, and we're saying satire has become much more difficult because what are you parodying? Oh, you know what would be crazy? A president that gets pissed on by porn stars. Well, now it fucking happens. <laughs> so, I, I know. And there's this crazy story I heard. It's really, really funny. It's about a president who was friends with a child sex trafficking ring <laughs> who suddenly had photos taken of him in Russian hotels and information like sworn affidavits that, I don't know, some crazy, fictitious group, like, I don't know, let's call them Anonymous, started putting out in 2016, seeming to suggest that they may have raped a child. Like, this is how fucking... Sir, sir, my president, my president, if he's going to have sex with a teenager, it'll be his own daughter. You heard him. That's fake news. For legal reasons, I want to be super clear that yeah, what I just yeah. said is obviously a joke. I mean, who could possibly... Yeah. Allegedly is the word that we'd like to make clear. I would, I, would, I certainly didn't name any president. And if you, for some reason in your own mind, have decided to draw some spurious sort of conclusion that would somehow make defamation <laughs> of his character like a clear legal case, well, that's on you, Chuck. 
That's on you. That's definitely on you, Chuck. Whereas over here, I'd have to worry because that never happens to my prince because he can't sweat. Well, that's been uh, an unbelievable uh, talk today, isn't it, Dane? We haven't done our normal format of questions because the question we had was worthy of a whole episode. You introduced my esteemed guest as an anarchist and therefore we have dispensed with our uh, classical <laughs> format. Um, but it's been wonderful. You know, I love you, baby. It's always good to see you. Oh, you know I love you too, bro. You know, you you know how we do. We have to get you back Absolutely. on the show. Exactly. You know how we do. You know how we do, baby. <laughs> but the, you know what the thing is? This is what I would say to anyone who's like really confronted by a lot of the things that we've talked about. It's okay. It's it so okay. Scary, man. It's it, so okay. They're big things, but also there's amazing resources out there. And if you know, you follow us, you'll, you'll see all this stuff that mm. is, is, is out there in the ecosystem, which hopefully, you know, we can curate for you. And I am hopeful. Like I want to say that. Like, Absolutely. I am, That's I the best part. It's humanity. That's the best part of this. And for those listening as well, like we are describing very daunting and what appear to be insurmountable odds. But you have to remember that you just as a species have existed before all of these systems. We have endured and we have adapted and we have evolved and we have succeeded. All of these systems that we were told there's nothing better than. And this is only the same thing that's happened now is that this has just worked to a point. We've now reached that apex. And now it's time for us to evolve socially globally you know i just hope that when we i just hope that when we evolve it's not as difficult as that moment at the end of the avengers films where dr strange tells <laughs> tony Stark, there's only one chance because we will fuck that one chance up i hope there's a big chance for us to change it um, this is my guy like i love that we've got back to an avengers metaphor like, yeah. i mean it's the closest one i mean it's close it's the closest one man it's it's uh you know us initially rejoicing in global imperialism and strength and then seeing a threat that's bigger than all of us mm. and uh, you know Jolien come back on the show at some point and we'll do some more we'll do, some more. do, do the live show do the live show do we'll, the we'll live show please, please. When, when we're allowed in public again but listen <laughs> thanks a lot for having me on man it's been listen, a lot of fun listen we'll speak to Absolutely. you again soon pleasure man good to see you brother have a wonderful but day yo you know I love you D I'll speak you to you soon man thanks all again peace you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste. Our guest was Jollyon Rubenstein. You can follow Jollyon on Twitter and Instagram at Rubs. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at officialdecode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.